Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. On episode 31, I talk with Chris Marshall, the founder and CEO at Chris Marshall Advancement Consulting. Chris is a senior higher education advancement professional with over 19 years of fundraising and alumni engagement experience. Together, Chris and I talk about the impact that COVID-19 has had on higher education, advancement, alumni engagement, and small businesses like his. Enjoy the discussion. Appreciate it. Uh, my name is Chris Marshall. I uh, currently serve as the CEO, founder and CEO of Chris Marshall Advancement Consulting, my own company. I work in the higher ed space, uh, well, across all education. I do independent schools. I do some nonprofit work as well, but but all in the philanthropy, fundraising, alumni engagement sort of category of consulting work is what I do. My background has been um, kind of a crooked mile is how I would describe it. I started off my career as a, uh, I went to Lehigh University as an undergrad and was a competitive swimmer and swam there competitively. And then um, went to grad school, became an assistant coach for one year. And then at the ripe old age of 23, uh, I was asked to serve as the head coach. And for, for a one year interim appointment <laughs> with kids, with kids, young men and women who I was on the team with the year before, right? It was bizarre. And um, the one year interim appointment turned into a 12 year career. I was the head men's women's swimming coach at Lehigh from 1989 to 2001. Amazing job and uh, just a lot of fun and we're, I think I honed a lot of my leadership and team development, team management, kind of people, organizational management, you now broader uh, skills at that stage of my career, but a pretty young age. And then uh, in, in 2001, I moved over to the um, to be the head of the Lehigh University Alumni Association. Executive director was my title, and uh, did that for seven years at Lehigh, my alma mater. Um, I, I left Lehigh in 2008 to go to Cornell University, spent five years there as the Associate Vice President for Alumni Affairs. So I was in-house for seven years at Lehigh Five at Cornell, and then um, I had done some consulting work on the side, visited, visited a few universities. I had the amazing opportunity. My first two uh, toes dipped in the water were one at Notre Dame and one at Duke, so two <laughs> good places to sort of test uh, what a consulting career might look like. And Loved it and found myself in 2013 going in full time. I joined a, a large company uh, in Chicago, one of the larger consulting, philanthropic consulting companies in the country, Gunzabach uh, Glear and Associates, GGNA, and worked with them for almost five years and uh, ended up leaving there um, in 2017 to go work for a company called Graduate, which is a software company that sells um, engagement, career services, and now fundraising. Uh, platforms into the alumni relations space. So it's kind of working in the same uh, sphere and same kinds of people we're interacting with, but it was more of a, a technology consulting role is what I was in for a couple of years. And then a year ago, I launched, um, it's a year and eight days now, I launched my own company, CMAC, and I've been working with clients of, um, over the course of these last seven years, it's been about 150 different clients ranging from the largest schools in the country, like Indiana University with 700,000 alumni and UCLA's and large public universities like that, Penn State, et cetera, to uh, you know, elite private universities like Duke and Vanderbilt, Johns Hopkins, your alma mater, um, and uh, some small liberal arts colleges, and all the way down to some smaller, even uh, you know, very tiny independent school organizations that are thinking about the same things and how to connect with their former, <coughs> excuse me, their former students and their now alumni 
keep them involved with the university or the, or the school in some way and ultimately lead to some outcomes and one of those outcomes being fundraising of course so there's it's been a bit of a crooked career crooked mile career but uh, there's some consistency in it that i've been in higher ed and i've been in relationship building business almost always and it's uh, it's been an interesting path and i've loved every step along the way and it was interesting that i've never thought about what the next thing was going to be it sort of just presented itself and i morphed and moved into it and we can talk more about that as we go along here yeah That's i my- appreciate that 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 uh that that winding journey and navigating us through that. I, I think one thing that I will make sure to come back to, I think um, your point about being, you know, on the team and then a year later, kind of like being the coach of the team. I think that um, is, is a, probably a really powerful lesson in, in leadership that I imagine there's a lot of people probably going through that right now in organizations where there are, there are frankly a lot of people that are stepping up into leadership positions um, yeah. because the opportunities are creating themselves. So we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, but I would love to jump in kind of right where we're at in this world. You talked a lot about um, engagement in universities and alumni and technology. Obviously, it's an understatement to say that every educational institution right now, colleges, university, higher education, high schools, all the way down to primary schools, are going through a huge transformation at the moment. Um, yesterday, I spoke to some principals. Next week, I'm going to talk to some parents about their experience. Um, everything has moved online. Everything is is digital engagement. Um, what has your experience been these past few weeks, and how has your job changed in this consulting role with your with your clients? Yeah, um, significant. I'll tell you the, the story. The quick backdrop question uh, response though is is that my pet peeve statement um, when I moved into alumni engagement in two thousand one. When I asked the questions about why we did things a certain way, the response was, "Well, we always we've always done it that way." my head usually exploded and I said, well, that's not a good reason, right? So, so, so talk about an acute version of that now, right? You can't think about it in those terms. It's completely different. So I'll, I'll tell you my, my quick version of my story. I was in at UCLA on March 7th, uh, flew home on that Sunday the 8th, and the world changed. It almost like felt like overnight. You know, by Monday the 9th, I was literally online up all night and researching um, different softwares and things that I could use to move my entire company. Uh, to a, what was an in-person. My weeks were typically, you know, leave Monday morning, get on a plane, and maybe be at two, three, or sometimes four colleges, universities over the course of a week, you know, plane hopping and hotel hopping, and then fly home on a Friday night and spend the weekend with my family. That was pretty much my routine. And so on, on the March 9th, I started to say, okay, how do we pivot this? And during that week, I moved the entire operation to virtual. I mean, I haven't got on, left my house in since March 9th. And um, yet I've stayed busy. I've been more busy than I've ever been because we've just done everything virtual. So on the morning of Monday, uh, uh, March 16th was when I first sort of launched this new virtual approach. I was on with a, with a great uh, longstanding client of mine, Duke University, and we ended up doing two full days, Zoom calls, virtual focus groups using another software product I found to help me facilitate a company called Focus Group It. It's a virtual focus group software. It was phenomenal. And we did seven focus groups and I had, I think, four other meetings between those two days. And I realized at the end of that second day on March 17th, I was like, I could do my job virtually. I don't have to be in person anymore. It's completely different. So I, I kept that pattern going every day. I, I was sharing with you earlier, eight to 10 hours a day of Zoom calls or versions of it. And um, I found that the level of engagement and, and, and the intimacy of an of a in-person meeting can almost be replicated virtually. You miss out on a little bit of the the body language stuff that you, you can't always see, but most of it is there. And in fact, I've got a lot of good feedback from clients that they're 
of all the you know meetings that they're doing and so forth. I spend a lot of time preparing so that when we get into it, the time is meaningful and we can use it well and we get the result out at the end of the day uh, that's going to be helpful for the client, whether it's in strategic planning or a focus group or testing a concept or whatever it might be. So, you know, short story is in week, I pivoted the whole operation and now I'm 100% online and um, I'm thinking that when, it come, when things go back to whatever normal looks like, more of my work will be this than it will be uh, getting on planes and hotels and being away from my family, which is a big struggle, as you all know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you and I um, probably had some very similar weeks, right? <laughs> Plane hopping, <laughs> hotel hopping. Yeah. Yeah. Much of my, and I, I now, I'm, I'm now going to say previous because I, I, one of the things I do feel pretty strongly in my body is we're not, there's no returning to the way work was done. There's no resuming, like there's a path forward and we're going to figure out what that is. But, but it was very similar. You know, I would jump on a plane Monday morning. I'd be out with the client um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we would be doing, you know, visioning sessions, strategic planning sessions. We would be yep. doing workshops. And part of the reason I loved those was because of what you described, you know, the interaction with people, being able to read the body language, you know, empathy being my number one, you know, strength finder strength is, is I'm able to use those in the room immediately and pick that up. Yeah. Same with things. me. I'm exactly like you in that regard, pick up the, that vibe, that feeling that you get from just being there and witnessing every little subtle move of the eyes and so forth. You can get almost all of it done in a zoom setting, but you miss some, some of it. Yeah. And I've, 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 the pivot, I love that you just use the word pivot because um, that's exactly how it felt that first week. I mean, it was, it was, quite interesting doing the pivot, not only for clients, but also for colleagues. So being in consulting, you know, um, yeah, we, people would say, oh, I can work remote. Uh, but it's a little different when you're working remote, like you're, you're on a plane, you're in a hotel, you're still in an office setting. When you had like different places to go to sort of inspire you or motivate you to, to you know, take on a certain task, it was very different. And there were a number of people that um, had to figure out the workspace at home. Now, if you were to see where I'm at right now, you know, I've got my laptop on top of uh, an empty shoebox on top of three books about the U.S. Marines. I've got my monitor on top of one, two, three, four, five books. One is about Russian art. One is beginner's Ukrainian. One is about the Matterhorn. One is about Gorbachev. And one is about how the KGB fell. So, and then my keyboard's on top of a box of coconut water. So when you talk about pivot, yeah, like it's totally, this is what people are doing. And I think in some ways, some people are thriving in it because I think they're making a different, uh, they're achieving a different level of productivity. They're getting a different focus. Yes. I too miss the interactions. Um, I will always miss that, but I'm also really delightfully surprised how much I've been able to get to basically yep. 90% of, yep. of effectiveness of, of, of what, of what I'm doing. Has that been the same experience for folks on the other side of the screen for you? Yeah, I 100% I, I agree with everything you said. And and so far, I'm not going to wood, um, the feedback I've gotten, I mean, I had one Zoom call with 25 people in a, in a uh, it was a day long, we did, you know, one hour all together, went into breakout rooms for an hour, took a break, and repeated that throughout the day. So it was like almost eight hours, but there was breaks, so we faced it. And at the end, 25 people on my Zoom screen, um, the, one of the participants who'd been doing it for the last three weeks and does a lot of this kind of stuff said, he stopped and said, I want, I want you to know that we really appreciate the amount of preparation you put into this and you kept us engaged through it. And I got a virtual round of applause. Literally, they were clapping. It wasn't like raising their hand or their icon clapping. It was literally, they were all clapping. 
Um, and so, so I think the answer is, is yes, but you have to put in the time to prepare, stagger it. I think breaks during the day are key. We took a half hour break every, every transition. We took an hour and a half for lunch, all that. So, but we ended up getting five good hours in of really productive work on building a values, vision, mission, priority statements for a strategic plan for a liberal arts college here in Pennsylvania. Um, and, and that's hard to do in person. We did it virtually. And we, you know, we've made a good chunk of it. So, I, so my answer right now is I think the clients are feeling the same. Um, I'm getting really good feedback. And I think people are just realizing that, you know, it works. The other thing I, I, I'll, I'll probably talk about later on, but I also think our whole world expectation has shifted around things like production value. You know, I always think about if like, a, you know, if uh, Jimmy Fallon can do an interview with Russell Wilson and his daughter interrupts the interview to show him that he, she lost her tooth. Uh, and that's okay in our world now. People accept that and you know embrace it in some ways. It's totally fine. I've had many meetings where I had you know kids sitting on laps, dogs and cats crossing over the screen, and people just kind of are okay with it. And the the level of quality of a of a Zoom call is so high that you don't need all the production value that goes along with it. So so you have this tolerance, quality of technology going up, but tolerance for accepting you know a national newscast being broadcast from someone's kitchen table. You <laughs> know it's a, it's a it's a different world in that regard. And I think we have to, you know, think about our future that that's where we're going to be because people are going to be okay. Yeah. And I think there's a beautiful um, demonstration of humanity in those moments. I too have been on a number of these calls where, you know, a cat walks across or, you know, I think the first week when people are trying to pivot and figure this out, frankly, there was a lot of, um, at least in, in my firm, we leaned into it and we said, take a picture of, of, of your pet or, take a picture with, you know, with you and your kids. And, you know, we're using Microsoft Teams and we posted it in there. And, you know, just to give people that sense of like, look, we know when you turn that camera on, your living room is behind you, your kitchen yeah. is behind you, your kid's yeah. going to walk in, right? Um, we wanted to sort of almost prep them for that, that level of what would normally trigger discomfort. I absolutely agree. But now, and I've watched there, you know, CBS last week had that that beautiful um, collection of country artists that that sang, and and it was so great. That I mean, they're singing from their kitchens. You're right. The kid walks in. The father has to say, I think it was Charles Kelly. I think it's the singer from uh, Lady Antebellum, and his kid walks into the frame, and he has to do the like the signal for shh, you know, be quiet because I'm recording. And there's something about it that I agree with you. In those moments, it's like that's when I feel closest to somebody because it reminds me of the humanity of what we're all, what we're all doing. And it's going to be hard in my opinion to um, lose that. I think that's a, I think that's a quality. I think that's makes the work we do better um, because we all know behind, you know, behind the face and behind the consultant and behind the business, right. Is a really strong family, people that yeah. we love and care about. So um, I agree. I'm excited to see, you know, I, I just read this morning that Lady Gaga is working with IBM and Apple and Jimmy Fallon and, you know, Kimmel and Colbert, and they're going to do this big event, I think, on April 18th um, called, you know, One World at Home. And there was a great, I mean, it could have been staged, but again, it's on, it's just over their Zoom and FaceTime and they're trying to figure it out. And it, it just makes it so approachable and attainable to an everyday consumer. And you, you do, you say to yourself, well, they're not doing anything different than I'm doing in my living room or my kitchen, FaceTiming with my parents, right? Yeah, my, my um, strongest mentor in my life um, was the gentleman who was the athletic director at Lehigh and he hired me at 23 and a guy named Joe Starrett, his birthday was yesterday, so I called him, we had a nice chat, catch up on all this stuff. 
and he shared with me some of this. He's still the athletic director. 27 years later, he's still there as the AD. Um, and somebody at every point of my life, every transition of my life, he's been involved in some way. And so we've always checked in. And um, yesterday's call was great because what he shared with me was that when he has his staff calls, the first part of the call is sort of everyone just sort of touching base. How are you all doing? How are your families? And it's just sort of a, you know, a, a, a COVID-19 check-in with, with, with his professionals. But then they do the business and then they always end every call with, okay, now get your kids, get your dog, get your cat. And they bring them all in. So they're all sitting there exchanging those human, you know, touches that you otherwise, you know, you get through the hallway conversations and elevator conversations, but you now have them live and virtual. And, and I thought it was a really good model to think about sort of the beginning of every meeting being sort of the check-in, how's everyone feeling, get the work done. And at the end, let's look forward to a point where we can all just sort of let our guard down and be a, be a dad, be a mom, be right. whatever. Yeah. really good model and i'm going to take that forward in my work i'm going to do yeah i mean the moments of levity and the moments of humanity i think frankly are what get us through um the work has to be done we do the work but i think you're absolutely right you know as you think about that that's something i'd love to kind of drill in a little bit as we think about um you know i think folks like you and me have talked about digital engagement in the in the space of the work you do in terms of alumni relations alumni engagement we've been talking about it for a while i will also say that um, up until recently, um, even the concept of changing the title of a committee or a part of a council to digital engagement seemed a little revolutionary. Um, now, not so much. And I'm really glad in, in some organizations I got that name changed before all this happened. But when you think about digital engagement, um, you know, obviously we're still working with a lot of alumni around the world that are of different generations. And there are some that totally get it, and there are some that have never never engaged with universities that way. Obviously, this is going to be different in, in a post-COVID-19 world, but how do you define that to like your customers and stakeholders? Um, maybe we'll ask it in a two-part question. How did you used to define it, and maybe how, how now, if any different, are you defining? Because the way I look at it, digital engagement is the only way we're engaging right now. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that I think, fair? I think the definition has been consistent. I think the difference is the urgency behind it or... I'll tell you a story. So, so my definition really is just delivering content and connections by virtual means. It's as simple as that. Um, and that could have been true pre-COVID and post and current. Um, but, but what we're in right now was this, this forced experimentation, forced uh, iterative process and agility that has to be shown or else you're going to, I mean, there, there was a little bit of a void for the last several weeks of people sort of figuring out how to do all this. But now you're seeing some really cool things rolling out. And what, what's happening is, is that you're getting um, a much broader, I would say the breadth of engagement has, has increased significantly because you get more potential for people to participate in events because you lower the barrier of not having to physically be somewhere, right? So breadth has been broader, but what's happened is that you've lost some of that depth that we were talking about earlier, that in-person, that human touch that you uh, were talking about. And, and I think as we go forward, so, so I'm working with Vanderbilt University right now and they're planning their summer send-offs, which is where the incoming first year student class in their hometowns all around the country get together with a bunch of alums and current students and they sort of have a welcome to the family party and then they all go off to school in August. Well, guess what's happening right now? I mean, we're, we're planning on those things potentially being virtual. Um, and so the plan A is to keep them in person like they would have always done. The plan B is to do them all virtually. And I'm thinking that the plan C is that we do both. We offer options for both of these so that later on when we get to a large event, I mean, UCLA is a, as a client, they did a really cool uh, webinar with some faculty on mindfulness. I mean, 550 people attend the session. 
They would never have had that number if that was an in-person event on campus. People don't go anywhere in LA, right? So, so you plug it in and the few people that do show up, as long as your production value is set up well enough that you can have an, a virtual audience see and hear and watch slides or whatever is going to be posted in, 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 a, in a way that's going to allow them to engage with the material, then I think our future is going to be that we do plan A and we're going to have in-person stuff for the deaf. But I think the plan B, which is going to transform to a combination plan C, is going to be doing together. We're going to see many, many more events where we'll hit deaf by having some in person, but we'll hit much broader groups. So the, the send off example at Vanderbilt, um, they have 1,600 first year students in their class, and, and something like five, 600 of them would attend a physical send off event in a typical year. I'm really curious to see what their numbers are going to be this year. I don't know the data point yet, and my expectation is going to be higher. We're going to have more people participate who are coming from geographic areas who physically couldn't get to something in the past. And also time of day, you can experiment with this. Think about all the things you could do. You could do it over lunch hour, you could do it during the week, you could do it. You don't have to have it in the traditional way where it's a physical event on a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon. It could be anytime, anywhere. And I think they're going to come back with, you know, if I had to predict you know, a growth of maybe 50% in their audience of, of incoming students who attended a virtual version of the event, and they can still deliver some of the same messaging and content they would have done in person. It won't be as good, uh, but I think we're going to see a lot of that happening as we go along in the future. Yeah, I think it's um, some of the things I've seen recently or heard recently. I'll give you an example. The other day, I got an invite or I saw on, on the Georgetown um, Hoya Battalion um, alumni group. Uh, and I did ROTC at Georgetown during graduate school. So um, I was there for two years, 2002 to 2004. And, you know, I followed sort of the alumni Facebook page uh, for the Hoya Battalion. But more recently, their postings were very deliberate, right? They were like, hey, we're setting up a Zoom. We would like alumni to jump on and give us tips to the cadets who are, who are frankly trying to figure out um, how they finish out their year. Um, and very similar as you're talking about, you know, the importance of ritual in events like uh, a commissioning ceremony. Um, and they have been so creative and so mindful about how they're doing it. So joining the Zoom was really uh, invigorating for me because, you know, there were 30 young people on there. There was the uh, battalion commander. There were a lot of alumni from previous years. And we were solutioning things on the spot. I mean, people right. were saying, hey, we've got a couple of MS, MS3s and MS4s um, who frankly are concerned about uh, finding jobs because they, they've got a reserve contract, not an active duty contract. And as we know, the unemployment rate you know, numbers came out today and there are people who are getting jobs rescinded or taken internships are getting you know, um, taken back. And so we were able to just, a couple of alumni jump in and say, hey, um, have those cadets reach out to me on this day. We're going to set up a Zoom. We're going to do it this way. And that made a lot of sense. And then we got into a discussion around, you know, how do you do ceremony and how do you do ritual? And it was really interesting because I remember when I commissioned at Georgetown, um, General Casey was there. Uh, he's a Georgetown grad. And obviously being in that big hall, you know, Healy Hall, it was, it was uh, very memorable but they're going to attempt to do this thing virtually. And I'm really excited to see how it goes because you know, General Casey is going to be on the Zoom and yep. he's going to give his comments and he's going to take some questions and it's going to probably be from his house or somewhere. And obviously we don't want, you know, 
we, we have to be, like you said, a lot of planning. We don't want people to have to sit on there for multiple hours, but how do we do, how do we use breakout rooms, for example? Another yeah. great, another yeah. great example of people said was, um, they, they usually do these branch days uh, for cadets where, for example, I was Signal Corps. So on the branch day, I would go meet with someone who had been a Signal Corps officer. If you're infantry, you would, and just find out about it. It's almost like the old days of walking in front of all the tables and picking yeah, up. It's a Zoom breakout room nowadays, right? Zoom exactly. breakout room, right? You just, you assign the rooms, here you go. And, and so we're achieving the same experience in a different way. And I think, I agree with you. I think there's going to be people who get so excited by the, by the plan A and plan B. And there's going to be times that people jump in depending on where they're at in their life. Yeah. And, and they get to choose it. And it makes them no less of an engaged alum, employee, uh, student, parent, so forth. Um, I'm excited by that. The other, the other benefit to this too, and, and use your General Casey example. So General Casey could be at Georgetown on that date once for that whole ceremony, including his travel and all the stuff. He could be at 12 of those now if he wanted to. Right. You know, do it all virtually and never leave his house and be in the same, have the same, um, uh, Maybe not the same impact because you're not there in person with them, but 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 in terms of breath, you're going to touch a lot more people. A, a college, university president, or chancellor, same exact thing. They don't have to physically go to. You know, the old model was that you know the chancellor at Vanderbilt might go to five the five largest cities to do these send offs and miss the other twenty five. Technically, now he can go to all thirty of them, right, <laughs> and spend the same amount of hours as he would have gone to those five to do thirty. But it'd be in this format, so. He's the general Casey in that model. I think we're going to see more of that happening. I think the benefit there is that, uh, again, it'll be breath, but uh, the depth we'll have to continue to work on. I, at the end of the day, I still think we're a people business and relationship building business, and you need to have that. But I think we need to be better about, uh, and we're being forced to be better about now, um, testing these other virtual means that we can connect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last question I'd like to kind of ask you about, just to share your thoughts on, is this, this is a lot of change that people are going through. And you had mentioned you know, and I'll kind of bring it back to that great story you shared about being made the coach um, at Lehigh, you know, right after you had literally been in the water and then you're coaching from, from outside the water. Um, right. That's a tremendous amount of change. And then as you went through your journey, you, I loved how you said you never really had to find the next thing, right? Those things just found you based on, based on passion, based on courage, based on showing up. So I guess my question to you is, how do you stay healthy and change? There's a lot that you've navigated, you've done you've um, learned from um, as, a, as a leader who's led for a really long time and now you're doing your own thing and leading others, how do you stay healthy and change? Yeah, um, great question. And, and uh, um, you know, I'll start with uh, saying that for just talk about leadership in general, I've always felt you know, self-proclaimed student of leadership, <laughs> um, not an expert by any means, always learning. Whenever you get to a point where you think you're good at something, you reset your calibration for what's good and you go back to another level. And I'm learning that every day uh, in these days. Uh, but in, in terms of, of leadership, if you really boil everything down to what leadership actually is, I had a, another good friend and colleague, I would call him a mentor as well, who helped me when I was a young coach. And he, and he defined leadership as simply going first take everything else out of the equation. It's being willing to go first. And I've always thought about that. If you think about it, you know, when you have an idea and you begin to communicate it and you want to get buy-in and you start testing an idea and you, you build on the successes. And of course you learn from the failures even more and you build on those, you keep iterating, you adapt to the changing world. Every single one of those steps, somebody had to go first. And that's what I think leadership is at the end of the day. And so, so being 
you know, staying healthy through change and leading change. The cartoon that you and I were just show, I showed you at the beginning where you have who wants change, everybody raised their hand, who wants to change, no one raises their hand, who wants to lead change, there, there, you know, there's no one there, right? It's, it's just the, the leader at the top of the podium. I think it's a really good visual in that um, to do that, you have to have, you have to be smart. There's another thing I've seen floating around recently was on LinkedIn post was somebody said, uh, what I thought it took to be successful, and it was like a pie chart, and 100% of it was work my ass off, basically, is what it was, was in there. And what it really took to be successful, it was broken out, you know, a big chunk of it was work your tail off, but the rest of it was, you know, exercise, diet, sleep, spend time with family, you know, balance of your life so that when you do focus on that work part, there's success. So I, my, my takeaway on all of it is, is take time for yourself. And it's not just about hard work. And then when you get into the actual practical uh, notion of, of change, I, I think it's, it's over communicating in many ways. It's being clear about the strategic direction, setting a vision and, and, and continuing to articulate that vision and doing things in terms of a mission that's going to drive you towards that vision. Uh, I'm a big um, collaborator, uh, a big uh, involved people in the process. You know, my own consulting work, it, it will always start with, okay, who else is going to be involved in this? Because it has to happen with people, not to people. And when you have a strategic plan and a major change come, if it happens to somebody, the chance of it being successful is zero, right? But if it happens with them and it's done in that balance, as, as I was just talking about, they're going to be more likely to change. And there's an old military saying, you probably have heard this in your background, but um, you know, involve them in planning the battle and they won't battle the plan. That's, that's a great, you know, I put that on the slide as I'm, when I'm introducing strategic planning to a, an audience of higher ed professionals. We're all going to battle, plan this battle together. And when we go to implement it, you're all going to be part of it and we're going to have success. So that's part of it. And I other thing I'll, I'll add with um, two, two last things. One, I learned this in my consulting days with the company I worked for, uh, being honest and being brutally candid. Uh, I always say candor accelerates the process. You can, be, you can be candid and honest and even brutally honest and do it in a polite and cordial way that makes people feel you know, that they heard the right message, sometimes a tough message, but it's not being mean either. You're, you're being honest. You're being candid. I think that's a really important thing we need to do more in our society, do it in the right way. And then, while it's cliche, the other thing I, I, um, I often will add is that surrounding yourself with good people is the, is the magic art of leadership. I mean, you can look like a really good leader if you put the right people around you. I don't want to get political, but you see what's happening on our national stage right here. You're putting the right people out in front. When you talk about this, you know, dealing with the virus, the right people at the podium who are saying the right things with the right expertise to be saying it are the ones that are making us all feel better versus others who make us panic when they, when they try to solve the situation. I'm not going to name any names or anybody knows what I'm talking about, but um, but I think that's, you know, surrounding yourself with good people is another good thing to balance into the overall equation. And, you know, but I do think at the very basic level, staying healthy um, and, and keeping that diet, exercise, sleep and time with family balancing your work life is going to be critical, especially now when you can get sucked into 20 hour work days if you're not careful of them. Um, so um, maybe that's not the right magic answer, magic form. Maybe it's too cliche, but that's how I'm doing it. No, I think I think it it um, it rings true, right? I mean, some things are some things appear cliche because there's a lot of truth behind them. Yeah, and yeah. I will I will um, I will echo and applaud you for talking about self care because that's something that you know I'm talking with a lot of colleagues, I'm talking with a lot of clients, I'm talking with family members, friends, um, and even yesterday, you know, just talking to some as I mentioned some of these principals of schools and. There's a pang of guilt that people are struggling with in terms of the self-care, right? And I think it's because we've had to, um, you know, 
our, our, our regular outlets in some ways are closed, right? Our gym is closed. My pool is closed. Like the places where we used to, to remind ourselves to do that self-care um, are not accessible right now. So it's really on us to set that routine and it could be hard. So I, I really applaud you kind of echoing the importance of that self-care because as leaders, you're right, you can't really show up for anybody if, if you're falling out, as we used to say in the military. Um, yeah, you know, you, you can't take care of your troops if you're, you know, if you're passing out or you're not eating or you're not drinking water. So I really appreciate that. And then the second thing I'll, I'll echo, um, and frankly, it's how you and I met, right? Surround yourself with good people. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, people have networks and people have trusted mentors. And a lot of people during these times are calling up those trusted mentors and saying, who can I talk to? I need help with this. I mean, I love the idea of just go first, try something, right? I mean, it was Saturday morning at 6 a.m. when I'm recording demos for clients on how to get stuff done. I'm recording it, I'm pulling it down, I'm throwing it into iMovie, I'm editing it. I mean, was it perfect? No. Was it 80% solution? Yeah. And was it the first? Absolutely. We needed yeah. speed and agility. So, yeah. so lead and, and take, take those things first, but don't feel alone in, right? We're all, I think every single person I've talked to has, has needed to be reminded in a gentle way. We were all in our boats and every single one of the boats got upended. Yeah. We're, now, we're now all in the water. <laughs> and there's a couple of different ways we can be in the water, right? As a swimmer, you get this. Somebody gave me this analogy, which I thought was so perfect recently. They said, um, you know, when you're in the water and you grab onto another person, if you grab onto another person and you're struggling and you're flailing, you can actually make it worse. You can pull that person down with you. Um, but if you allow the person at a distance to kind of be like, all right, I'm going to help you, right? They can, they can do some of those life-saving techniques. Um, and it, and it's, we're all in this together. So we all kind of have to look each other in the eye, count breaths, be like, you're going to be okay. You know, watch, watch me bob up and down, mirror me. I'm going to extend my arm. Don't, don't pull my arm. I'm going to give you my arm. And then before you know it, like there's a big circle of people, right? And, it, and you're, you're kind of holding each other up in, in almost a, um, a, a way of floating. And, and then people are like, okay, this wasn't so bad. But that yeah, takes time. And that's what we're learning. Yeah. So the other thing, I'll add one last thing to that. Um, I learned this along the way in my life of ups and downs. When you're in that water and the waves are floating, and you're down in the trough with just walls of water on either side of you. Don't make any life decisions at that point. Wait till you're up on top and you can see clearly and then make that decision. Yeah, I yeah that that's, that's where vision comes in too, right? Yep. You know, the that's, importance of leaders casting a vision. And yep. in order to cast that vision, you have to have sight. And yep. you're absolutely right. You can't make it in the troughs. You can't make it in the ravines. You got to climb up there. And sometimes you need help from other people to climb up there. Um, so I appreciate that. Uh, before we close, where can people find out about you? Um, there's probably a lot of people out there that are in this e ecosystem and figuring stuff out and could probably use some help from a guy like you. So where can they find out more about you? Online, um, cmac.me, C-M-A-C dot M-E um, is where my website is and email address is chris.marshall at cmac.me as well. So uh, awesome. we're happy to talk to anybody anytime about these issues. And sometimes it's just a check-in phone call that, that people need. Yeah. It's not a billable hour. It's a right. friendly, you know what I mean? So Absolutely. We're happy to do that anytime. Okay. And I love, uh, I will also plug, I love all the stuff you post on LinkedIn. Um, I really appreciate your thought leadership and, and digital mentorship in this space. Um, you've become a real good friend to the work that I'm doing at Hopkins and I'm now starting to weave into some of the other, um, you know, through Georgetown and other places. So thank you so much for, well, for your time. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. You're doing yeah. great stuff too. So keep it up.
Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Bill. See ya.